Hello there and welcome to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Abuja, Nigeria and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show we ask, do superstitious beliefs work in football? Well, here in Zimbabwe and indeed in much of Africa, there are stories week in, week out of football teams using juju, beliefs that the supernatural can help them to score goals and win games. I would say juju does exist. In our culture, we are Zimbabweans, we believe in juju and uh, it works to some extent, but some of it is psychological, of course. We're going to take an in-depth look at the use of juju or muti or charms in football. Can it help teams to win and is it advisable to get involved in this area? Is it more psychological than spiritual? Plus the latest on the gripping title race in the English Premier League. If you were actually to take 38 games, i.e. the league season, starting from this time last year to now, Leicester would be top of the league having taken 11 points more than Manchester City. So that's all coming up and it should be interesting. Now, a common feature in African football is the practice of using juju or muti, also known as fetishes or charms, to help a player or a team to do well. It usually involves going to see a medicine man in West Africa, usually known as a babalao or a marabou, in South Africa a sangoma, here in Zimbabwe a nanga or traditional healer. They can be referred to as witch doctors, but this is a term that's not used really these days. Now here in Zimbabwe we have stories pretty much on a weekly basis of Premier League football clubs using juju to help them to win games. They might visit a traditional healer and be given some muti or medicine. They might sprinkle water in the opposition team's dressing room. They might avoid using the proper designated entrance to the pitch and instead jump over the perimeter fence. Players can have salt or even urine thrown at them by the opposing team to supposedly neutralise the juju that might be being used against them. And in a case a couple of years ago, with a game at nil-nil and only a few minutes left to play, a ball boy poured urine over the goal that the home team was attacking and they scored barely a minute later. But many say this is all psychological and the team should focus more on training hard rather than trying to tap into supernatural powers. A Zimbabwean theatre play called Juju Soccer explores the conflict between a club's new coach and the owner who insists that he uses a traditional healer. What do you think I am? I am a professional coach. I am not going to continue listening to this rubbish. I will not win matches with the aid of Juju, people like you, and all these wicked things you are talking about. Don't be angry with me. Sit on that soccer ball on that couch. <laughs> now, for the goalkeepers, if we use this white chikwambo, that means that the goalkeeper from the opposite team will see a train coming, aiming for him, and they will just dive away from the goalpost, and that will be a score. Well, a chikwambo, by the way, means a goblin. So for those who believe in juju or muti, what about the powers that they're seeking? Are they real or does it simply give a psychological advantage? 
George Candiero is the president of Zimbabwe's National Association of Traditional Healers, also known as Zinata, and he gave me his views. I would say juju does exist. In our culture, we are Zimbabweans, we believe in juju, and uh, it works to some extent, but some of it is psychological, of course. And when these teams are going to see a traditional healer for these these powers, uh, what exactly are these powers? Where, where are they coming from? It's not powers as per se. What it is normally is the psychological aspect, where someone feels they can enhance their powers or maybe do down the other team by using juju. So it's not powers as per se that they acquire. What we are saying is, as Zimbabweans, as Africans, we do believe in African medicine, and we believe that there's uh, maybe a higher power or that inner spirit that needs to be boosted whenever you're doing something. It might be not just soccer. It could be a business. People tend to believe in using traditional medicine. But let, let us get it straight that this type of medicine is uh, social medicine. It's not curative medicine. So it doesn't really exist. It's not tangible. It's nothing that, is, that you can touch or feel. So can it help a football team to perform better? Not really, uh, as, 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 as how we view it as Zinata. What it is, some of it, unfortunately, falls into witchcraft, really, because what they'll be looking at is the downfall of the other team, whereby maybe they think they can now confuse the other team to better their chances of winning the game. So I would really link it to that. But we've got so many teams which do believe in using uh, traditional medicine or in using juju. Let's not call it traditional medicine. Let's call it juju to enhance uh, maybe the results or to get a better result of what they're doing. Because we have so many of them coming towards our offices to try and get consultations, to get experts who maybe administer this kind of juju uh, to teams. They have a strong belief from just not just the team administration, but also the players themselves. We see that they have a tendency of really believing in traditional medicine. But we don't know whether this is coming from the side where maybe they haven't done enough training or they fear the other team, which is their opponent, and they tend to maybe try to say, since we're using medicine, we can conquer using medicine. And you mentioned uh, witchcraft. Are you saying that is something that is not under the auspices of Zinata, that this is something different from what you're dealing with as traditional healers? What we're saying is we don't encourage people to be using uh, juju, so to speak, that maybe affects someone in a negative manner. We don't encourage that. But we see in some instances that the idea maybe is to do down the other team. And how do you do down someone? It's by paralyzing them. It's by maybe confusing them. And we as an association, we, we, we don't really encourage our members to administer that kind of juju. But uh, you'd find that not just in soccer, uh, such type of medicines do exist that can confuse an individual. So we also believe some of it is psychological, like we're saying. If someone is using juju, they believe, look, um, we've used juju, we've bathed in this stuff, we've smeared urine, we've done this, so we are bound to win. And that kind of mindset makes someone perform even better so that they get the desired result, not knowing that maybe whatever it is that they've used is not working, but it's just the ability to play soccer. But beyond that, you're saying that there are some powers that can actually enhance your performance. That is very true. Not, not your performance as per se, but your, oppon your opponent's maybe performance 
to maybe confuse them like we're, we're saying just now. It also happens in politics. It happens in uh, business where one uses juju uh, against their opponent. Just to look at some of the common things we see in football, uh, it looks like water that's being poured on the centre spot or somewhere on the pitch. Is that just water? Has something been done to it? This is where I was talking of social medicines. Social medicines normally, um, that's where you get your love portions and all these other funny kind of medicines. It's totally different when someone has a headache, uh, suffering from HIV. Those are called curative medicines where you can get it over the counter and just use it you know, three times a day or something like that. But now when we come to this smearing of urine, it's not just urine. It's urine that maybe has some form of uh, blessing from the individual who has given out this urine or has been used in a certain ritual before it's, it's, it's smeared onto the pitch. And the water? Even the water itself. It's just like prophetic water. You know, we talk of these prophets. They bless their water, give certain prayers to these waters. So the moment you put a prayer on water, it ceases to be water. It's something else. It's now classified under, under juju, so to speak. Amongst our members, and not just our members, even those who are not registered with us, there is very common uh, amongst certain areas of Zimbabwe, which we might not pinpoint, where it's actually known that uh, Hila X or Hila B administers uh, soccer juju, and they're popular. And uh, these teams are paying very big monies to these guys, especially if there's a win. And you'd find some of them are even present at some of these matches, dressed in certain attires, uh, doing certain stuff, singing certain uh, songs and so on. Well, that's George Candiero, the president of Zinata, Zimbabwe's National Association of Traditional Healers. Well, let's go to Solomon Ashams in Nigeria now. Uh, Solomon, you spend time in both Nigeria and South Africa at the moment. So have you come across many of these juju stories? Absolutely, Steve. Uh, This is African football we're talking about here. So, uh, you know, a lot of uh, traditional things are part of the African culture. And uh, back in Nigeria, growing up for me, there's a lot of superstition. I used to support a local club called Adudu Babes, and uh, I was just these uh, rituals that they get to do. And also there's uh, situations where an animal, maybe a, a, a lamb, a goat, is being uh, sacrificed and buried in the middle of the pitch, in the middle of the football pitch in the stadium, all that for uh, for them to be able to win. So that is, that is outside even local individual players going to see a juju man, going to see a babalawo, as we call it in Nigeria, or going to see a boka in the northern part of Nigeria, that's what we call it. In South Africa, is just the role of a sangoma. A sangoma is the one that normally helps the team. Uh, the teams runs to a sangoma anytime there needs a success uh, to win a game or to be able to win a trophy. And so many different stories coming up from so many different players I've interviewed over the years and also uh, from our football managers. Uh, here, the main thing is when you do it, the whole team gets to participate in the ritual. So they go, to, for example, they go to a river in the middle of the night the sangoma asked them to go to a river they go to a river every one of them need to be naked and you take a bath from that water or anytime you know they go back to their dressing room before a game they see smoke 
you know, uh, because Sangoma was in the dressing room performing some sort of ritual that would make sure the team wins before they came in. And you get this strong smell of grass because of the what the Sangoma did, you know, in the dressing room just before the game. So those are some of the stories that definitely, you know, come out of Africa, out of Nigeria, out of South Africa, just in the quest to make sure that a player performs better and also a team wins against their opponent. There is uh, much debate, isn't there, about the origins of these supernatural powers that the Sangoma might be calling upon uh, if players are trying to get uh, help for them to win matches or or score goals. The question of the origins of this power are uh, something that must be asked. Yes, uh, a lot of those origins of these powers are asked. You know, like in South Africa, there is a lot of belief in ancestors. You believe in your ancestral uh, lineage. So it's just uh, a case of the Sangoma trying to uh, talk and evoke the spirit of the ancestors to come over and, and, and help the team achieve success and help the player achieve success. But that is something that you know, is for me, it's kind of like superstitious. You have a lot of young players coming through that they don't really believe in that. They believe if you're, if you're talented enough, if you're good enough, if you train hard enough, if you're hardworking, definitely you're going to make the grades. But at the same time, you kind of like wonder, where is that power from? Is it from God? Is it from what God are we talking about? Knowing that in Africa, we have different kind of gods. So it's, the, it's definitely a ways that each team and each player every day is seeking for ways to win. Well, thanks, Solomon, for that insight. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And today we're looking at the use of juju or muti or charms in football. Is it there? Does it work? And is it advisable to use? Or should teams just train harder? Tell us what you think on WhatsApp. Send us a message to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Or go to our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, as we continue to look at this topic, here's the second part of our interview with former Congo Brazzaville captain Oscar Ewolo. Now, Ewolo got his first game with the national team in a Nations Cup qualifier against Morocco. And ahead of that game, the players were told to take part in a fetish ceremony. But Oscar refused because of his beliefs. He tells us more in this feature from Planet Sport Football Africa reporter Adrian Barnard. D'accord. Alors, je suis. Euh, j'étais là. J'étais là pour le premier match. En fait, c'était contre, je pense, le Maroc. Hein. It was my first game for Congo. I think it was against Morocco. I was the youngest player, and it was my first time in the national team. And some people thought that if we all touched a fetish symbol, it will protect us from bad luck. But as a follower of Jesus, I knew I needed to put my trust in Him alone. So just before the game when I was told that I had to touch the fetish, I refused and said, I have two passports, French and Congolese, and if you insist that I touch it, I will leave the tournament and go back to France, although I really wanted to play. People put pressure on me saying, it's your first game, you are the youngest player, it's for Congo. I just said no and refused to compromise. I stuck to my position and God blessed me. I was the best player in the game. 
and people notice that. As the Bible says, he who honors me, I will honor, and I put God first. That is the story of what happened at the game against Morocco. Oscar went on to play 32 times for Congo, and later he was appointed the national captain. That's me, and I am really grateful to God that he had put me in that position. When I started playing for the national team, I was not captain, but God made it happen. Being captain has given me opportunity to share my faith with the team. Players have needs, and it is important that there is someone there who can share the gospel and to meet those needs. That is Jesus Christ. As captain, I have the chance to talk about my faith with the council members, ministers, and the president's advisors. I always pray beforehand. You know, in Africa, there is often a need to oppose fetishes or juju. And for at least five to six years, when I have been captain, they have been put aside and replaced by Jesus, which is fantastic. In 2009, Oscar moved from Lorient after five years at the club, during which time he played 114 times and scored two goals. He spent the next three years at another French club, Brest, before finally ending his career at the French League 2 side, Stade La Valois, in 2013. He could look back with justifiable pride on a career stretching for more than 18 years. He played over 370 games for four clubs and represented his country Congo 32 times, including several times as captain. As we've heard, Oscar speaks enthusiastically about his football and also his faith as a follower of Jesus Christ. So in closing, we asked him to explain the difference that knowing Jesus has made to him throughout his life and footballing career. He enables us to be a different person. I often say that we are called to live with difficulties because difficult times are part of life. As people who know Jesus, we know we have something that will bring us through the difficulties. There is a passage in the Bible which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Everyone has to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But the difference is that we do it with this assurance that the living God is with us. To sum up, we have eternal life, life that continues beyond death, and because of that, we have a certain assurance in this life. Well, that feature on former Congo Brazzaville captain Oscar Ewolo from Planet Sport Football Africa reporter Adrian Barnard. So we'd love to hear your views on this. Is there use of juju in football in your country? Does it work? Should it be avoided? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. Our website, planetsportfootballafrica.com. If you miss the show any week, you can always listen back to the programme on the website, planetsportfootballafrica.com. 
And now we turn to Facebook and to WhatsApp. Two weeks ago, we asked you which team you thought will win the English Premier League title. At that point, 44% said Leicester and 36% went for Arsenal, 11% for Manchester City. Last week, we asked uh, which three teams do you think will be relegated from the Premier League at the end of the season. There's a desperate battle there. Aston Villa bottom on 16 points with Newcastle and Norwich on 24, Sunderland with 25, and then a big gap of eight points to Crystal Palace and Swansea, who are both on 33. Well, on Facebook, Moses Manny in The Gambia says, I think Sunderland, Norwich and Aston Villa will go down. Newcastle can survive because they're a big team and they have the players to do it. Cherno Saidi, also in The Gambia, agrees. He says Villa, Norwich and Sunderland will be relegated. They're all finding it difficult to find their form. And quite a few of you agree that it will be Villa, Norwich and Sunderland. That's Amadou Dumbuya, Alassane Drame, Ebrima, Ugis Sis, Ebrima Sise, King Jatta, Saja, Saiku Trawali, Mamadou Ba and Aliubi Conte all in the Gambia and Alfred Mdimba in Malawi. Aliou Jami agrees on two of the teams, but not the third. He says the teams going to the championship are Norwich, Aston Villa and Newcastle. And he adds big congratulations to Modu Barrow and Andre Ayew for Swansea's three points at the Emirates. Uh, that's referring to Swansea's remarkable 2-1 win last week against Arsenal. Alpha Jallo in the Gambia says Aston Villa will surely go to the championship next season. And for me, Newcastle and Norwich will follow suit because both Crystal Palace and Swansea are above the relegation zone and Swansea are collecting points. When we come to Sunderland, I think they can still play in the Premier League because they're very good when it comes to the last games of the season, as they did in the previous two years. Kenny Smith in Sierra Leone agrees with Alpha. Kenny says, I choose Villa, Norwich and Newcastle because Sunderland know how to escape relegation. And many of you agree that those are the three teams going down. Ebrima Kante says Aston Villa are already out. Norwich and Newcastle will be joining them, believe me, because Newcastle are a mess. Uh, Lee Cisse in the Gambia agrees. He says it's been a disastrous spell for Steve McLaren with Newcastle. Malik Guy also agrees that Villa, Norwich and Newcastle will go down and adds that Chelsea are going to finish above Manchester United. (laughs) Well, Chelsea are currently seven points behind Man United, uh, but with nine games still to go, anything can happen. Also, we heard from others of you who feel that Villa, Norwich and Newcastle will go down. That's Abli Osise, Amadou Mane, Bobby Brown, Matar Cham, Amat Lee, Modu Lamin Jame, Usainu Nije, Bakari Sonko, Yusufa Silla, Ebrima Barrow, Bakari Jaju and Amadou Turai. And Rex Rose Carbgo in Sierra Leone thinks it's not so clear-cut. Rex says a villa would definitely be relegated and Norwich will follow, but Newcastle and Sunderland will battle it out to the end. And Alan MJ Campbell, also in Sierra Leone, agrees. Alan says Aston Villa will definitely be relegated, but big Sam Allardyce of Sunderland is a master of winning relegation battles, and since he took over at Sunderland, they've improved drastically. I see him winning another survival battle. Swansea have a motivational boost after the Arsenal victory. Norwich are not convincing, and they're inconsistent, and it might cost them. Newcastle and Crystal Palace will battle it out for the last survivor's position, but it's very difficult to decide between the two. We'll have to wait for the last day. 
Meanwhile, Lamin Saidi, Sambu Jang and Bai Matar in the Gambia and Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone think Norwich will survive. Uh, Lamin speaks for them all when he says, I think Aston Villa, Sunderland and Newcastle will go down. And finally, Saidu Bar thinks both Newcastle and Sunderland will escape. He says it's Villa, Norwich and Palace going down. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments on this question. And uh, Sunday the 15th of May is the final day of the season. Then we'll know who's going down and indeed who wins the league title. Well, let's talk more about the English Premier League. Our European football expert Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, Stuart, people were wondering whether Leicester could maintain their push for the title. They now have a five-point lead. Absolutely. A 1-0 win at Watford sealed the deal with Riyad Mahrez scoring a stunning strike from outside the box. And do you know that if you were actually to take 38 games, i.e. the league season, starting from this time last year to now, Leicester would be top of the league having taken 11 points more than Manchester City in second place during that period. So, you know, that's an interesting statistic. It just shows you that Leicester actually have, over the last 12 months, been the best team in the Premier League. So if they do go on and win the league, they certainly deserve it. Of course, it did them no harm at all that Tottenham and Arsenal, two of their main rivals, drew 2-2. Arsenal took the lead, then Coquelin managed to get himself two yellow cards. Tottenham came back to take a 2-1 lead and Arsenal equalised, but it certainly helped Leicester more than anything else. And finally, among the top teams, Manchester City beat Aston Villa 4-0 and Yaya Torre scored. And Aston Villa must be glad that there are only two Tory brothers because when they played Liverpool last month, they lost 6-0 to Liverpool and Yaya's brother Colo scored that game. But Aston Villa sadly look completely doomed. One just cannot see them getting out of the situation. You know, they're eight points adrift of everyone else. So on that relegation battle we've just been talking about, uh, what's your view, Stuart? Well, at the weekend, Bournemouth beat Newcastle 3-1 and Swansea beat Norwich. And that pretty much makes Bournemouth and Swansea safe, I would say, even Crystal Palace safe, although Crystal Palace have lost a lot of games recently. Mentioning Bournemouth, it was great to see Max Gradel, who's played the last three games after that horrible injury he got last summer. And of course, Modo Barrow was part of the Swansea team that won that game. And as you say, it does leave us with Norwich, Sunderland and Newcastle, almost certainly two of those going down. And to make it more interesting, Steve, each club has to play the other two before the end of the season. So there are nine points at stake in the games between Norwich, Sunderland and Newcastle. And anyone who can pick up two wins there, I think, will save themselves. OK, so we'll see. And uh, a couple of Africans on target last weekend. Chelsea drew with Stoke and two African goals were scored. Great to see Bertrand Traore from Burkina Faso, the 20-year-old who was on loan at Vitas Arnhem, scoring. And, you know, that is a goal for him in each of his last three appearances for Chelsea. Great to see the 20-year-old getting all these opportunities. At the other end of the spectrum, in a way, Mama Biram Dioth from Senegal scored for Stoke. And that was his first goal since last September, ending a run of 12 games without a goal. Steve, I just need to tell you about Liverpool beating Crystal Palace. And this is something for the mathematicians. Because think of the number 24. Palace took the lead after 48 minutes, twice 24. Liverpool then equalised after 72 minutes, three times 24. And then Liverpool won the game with a penalty in the 96th minute, four times 24. How about that? 
Well, mathematical intrigue there. <laughs> Arsenal seem to be faltering in their bid to win the title, but they can still win the FA Cup after beating Hull 4-0 in Wednesday's replay to reach this weekend's quarterfinals. Yes, it's quite an intriguing four games we've got over the weekend, starting on Friday night with Reading Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace really can have up to six Africans there. Of course, there's Adebayor from Togo, Yannick Bolesi from DRC, Marlon Chamak from Morocco, Sacco from Mali and Papaswari from Senegal. But Palace have been in desperate form, a real chance of an upset, I would have thought. Everton against Chelsea, intriguing game again because this is going to be Chelsea's only chance of winning anything. And we could well see Traore, Raman and John Obi Mikel in their lineup. Arsenal at home to Watford. And, you know, Watford have been scoring goals. Igalo's been in great form. And it wouldn't surprise me if they just got one over on Arsenal. But who knows? And, of course, the last game then, Manchester United against West Ham. An intriguing game. Manchester United's only chance of success one would feel this year. But then West Ham, of course, with Emaniki showing good form, Kuwaiti, Seku, Alexander Song. You know, it's a very African core to that team. And West Ham been playing really well. I mean, they were 2-0 down at Everton and 1-3-2 last weekend. So West Ham, I think, could be a good outsider for the FA Cup, I would say. Well, some great games to look forward to. Thanks, Stuart. That's it for this week's show. But on Facebook and on WhatsApp, tell us, do you think that superstitious beliefs work in football? Are there superstitious beliefs in football in your country? Do you believe it can help teams to win? And is it advisable to get involved in this area? Send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football. Africa. From me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in Nigeria, and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.